0: Well, this is heading our way. It's coming right at us. We can't avoid it. We have 18 days, 18 days before it arrives, before it hits the earth. Well, we we can't let it hit the earth. I mean, we have to do something. I mean, this asteroid is half the size of Texas. And so we, we have to try to do whatever we can to prevent this, to stop this, to see if we can make a difference. There's no way, I mean, this, this, this asteroid is too big. We can't really just necessarily just push it away or, or just send some nukes to hit it on the surface. We have to get inside this thing, and if we could get, get a team, a team of people to drill into the asteroid, get into the center of it, put some nuke, nuclear weapons, nuclear bombs, and blow this thing up from the inside, perhaps we can divert it enough. Man, we need the best oil driller, the best team that we can find. So who will take on this asteroid? The choice is absolutely clear. There could be no one else better for the job. Bruce Willis. <laughs> I mean, this is from, a, from an older movie called, uh, called Armageddon. And it's about this giant asteroid that's hurling towards Earth. And uh, Bruce Willis, he put to kind of a team together of misfits, of, of uh, oil drillers to take this thing on. And, um, you know, maybe if you haven't seen that, there's another movie on Netflix called Don't Look Up. And, it, you know, it's kind of similar where there's, there's this comet that's heading towards Earth, and there's this group of people that are like, they're just trying to get the government and different people to respond to this impending doom that they have, that, that's coming for them. Like, hey, we have to do something. We have to respond. We have to adjust because of this big thing that's happening. And for us, in, in, you know, when we watch these things, it's really easy for us to see. Hey, well, I mean, if something like that is coming. If something like that, if there's this reality of what's happening, well, you have to do something, especially if it's something like a comet or an asteroid, that you have to respond. You have to adjust to what is taking place, and think about your own life. You prepare and adjust your life all the time to what is happening around you. Baby is coming. Oh, oh, you get the nursery ready, you paint the room, you take some classes that tell you how to breathe and all of that, um, and you have a baby shower. Hey, you're going on a date. Hopefully, hey men, you know, in case you have not, you know, if you're a single guy, you know, maybe you can learn some, t- you take a shower. If you're going on a date, you put on some deodorant, you dress up, you think through, hey, what are some questions that I should ask them to really get to know them? Be intentional, have a plan. Hey, you're, you're going on vacation. You get ready. Oh, do those swim trunks still fit? Well, apparently not. I got to go to Walmart. Let's do it. You adjust to the weather. It's getting colder, hotter. All of those things, sporting events, this upcoming weekend, there is the Super Bowl. Probably most of us are going to prepare, adjust our lives in some way. Companies coming over, hey, it is the biggest uh, cheese consumption day in America. Hey, we've got to get ready for that. You adjust yourself, your life, to what's taking place, to reality. And here in Matthew 3, John the Baptist, he is telling people, hey, There's something here. There's something far bigger coming that you need to respond to. It demands a response from you. You're going to need to adjust your life because this is actually far bigger than an asteroid or a comet that's about to hit Earth. You have to adjust and respond. And so John is saying, hey, so then how are you going to respond and adjust your life to the fact and the reality that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King, creator of the universe is here? What are you going to do? And this question is not just posed to them then, but it's posed to you today. Hey, are you going to do anything? How are you going to respond? Are you going to adjust anything in your life according to that reality of Jesus being here? And so, that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the man... The message and the motivation that we see here in Matthew 3. So, if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 3. It is the first book of the New Testament. If you've gone to Mark or Luke, you've gone too far. So, it's Matthew 3. And um, before Christmas, we, were, we went through, uh, leading up to Christmas, we went through uh, Matthew chapters 1 and 2, talking about the birth of Christ. And now we're just jumping back into Matthew and we're going to keep going. So, the first point we're going to see here is the men. So in those days, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And so this is, this is in Israel, and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, and, and the he in verse 3 is talking about John, A voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Um, You know, it's like their first keto diet, almost, or something like that. But, um, you know, then the people from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And so, who who is this guy? John the Baptist. And and between chapter 2... Of Matthew in chapter 3, you know, so because there's Jesus, he's, he's an infant, he, he's a baby, and so it's kind of jumped. Matthew's jumped from that time to here in Matthew 3, and this is almost 30 years. And it would be cool to hear more about, well, what is Jesus like as a child? Um, and then that would just probably be really depressing for all of us to think, well, huh, that's what Jesus did, and uh, my kids, they aren't God in the flesh. So, um, you know, but, but, but for, for Matthew, it's just like, hey, that's not the focus of what we're doing. I, he, he's pointing us to, hey, what do we need to see? We, you don't really need to know so much about Jesus as a teenager. You need to see Jesus um, here because of the gospel. And so there's this gap of almost 30 years, and then it just tells us about, it introduces us to John the Baptist. And so, so who is this guy? Well, first, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. So Jesus, you know, is fully God, fully man, and his earthly mom, biological mom, Mary, had a sister, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth and Mary were pregnant at the same time. And when Mary is, she's pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, who's carrying John the Baptist, she hears Mary's voice coming, and then inside of her, John the Baptist leapt. I mean, just because, because even from this early age, he had just been anointed by the Holy Spirit to know that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming. That would be pretty crazy. It's like, man, hey, he knows exactly who Jesus is from even before he's born, and so he's Jesus' cousin. Um, and then, also, it's now he's this messenger of God showing up here in Matthew 3, And if you look back, just literally a few pages in your Bible, to the last book of the Old Testament, to Malachi, this is what it says in the ending verses of Malachi, the very end of the Old Testament, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says this, "'Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statues and ordinance I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. "'Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah,' Before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And so this is the last verses of the Old Testament. Last, last verses that the Jews would have heard from a prophet. And this prophet is saying, hey, I'm going to send you. God is telling you that, hey, sometime in the future, I, God is going to send you the, pro, the prophet Elijah. It doesn't actually mean the actual real Elijah, but, but a prophet like Elijah like him is to come now for us this is like okay sounds good whatever but, but Elijah was considered kind of the, the most prominent prophet during the Old Testament time and so when John or when Malachi is saying hey this is to come for the great day of the Lord for, for Jews this is like okay wait a minute hey when somebody shows up and they're like Elijah this is a big deal because this is telling us that the Messiah has come. And so from that point in Malachi to here is 400 years. I mean, can you imagine that? 400 years, the Jews are, are like, there is no thus saith the Lord that they're hearing. There, there, there is no messenger of God. There's no prophet of God that they're hearing. It's just kind of like this silent period. And they're just wondering, man, where is God? What is, what is he saying? What is he speaking? Man, is God still concerned with us? Has he abandoned us? And then John arrives on the scene. And, and here in Matthew, it describes John, and he seems pretty weird. He's wearing camel hair. That's not necessarily, I mean, none of you, are. I'm assuming, are wearing some sort of camel hair shirt. You know, it's, it's some, something that's not super comfortable. It's not the latest fashion of the day even back then. And then, and then he's eating honey and locusts. He's just kind of living out there. He, he's he's uh, like those guys on the Alaska show, uh, on the History Channel. He's just like living off the land, eating this stuff, and he's just kind of weird. And these, these details, even that it says, oh, and he wears a belt. Okay, thanks, Matthew. For us, it, it, it just seems random. Like, why are you sharing these details with us? But what Matthew is doing Is pointing his readers and pointing you to say, like, hey, what the old testament said, what Malachi said, that somebody like the prophet Elijah is to come, that's happening. Because all of these descriptions are very similar to Acts of the Prophet Elijah. Second Kings 1 8 says, Hey, Elijah's this hairy man that he wore a belt. He lived in the wilderness. All of these things. And so so Matthew is showing us God is in control. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he is fulfilling all of the promises that he had, that he's spoken to us even hundreds of years ago. He will make good on those promises. And how he said that there would be a prophet to come, like Elijah, he's come right now. God knows what he's doing, and all of these promises of God are are kind of reaching their culmination in Jesus Christ saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. I mean, even Jesus, later in, in Matthew 11, he affirms that, that John the Baptist is this prophet, like Elijah. And then here in Matthew um, chap, er, chapter 3, verse 3, he quotes um, from Isaiah 40, ver, uh, 40, verse 3, a voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. And so there's this image of, of a herald, that, that we're getting. Somebody, somebody that, that comes, a herald would come before the king, would announce the king's coming, and then if the king was traveling on this road, he would basically try to make the path straight so that it was the most comfortable, easy ride. And so he'd get rid of big stones, all of these things, and then everybody would know in these different towns that the king's going, hey, he's coming. The king is coming. And, and that's what, what John here, he's doing. He's this herald. And, and a herald is not pointing to themselves. John is pointing to Jesus, and he even says it later on. He, man, I'm, I'm I'm the one that baptizes with, with with water for repentance. But there will be one later, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You receive the Spirit of God in you when you trust in Him. Later on, uh, John the Baptist says, I, "I I need to become less, because Jesus is greater." He's going to be the one that, that is greater. He needs to do that. And so, um, man, we just see this, this heralding by John that he's pointing not to himself but to Jesus and serving with humility. Hey, even the lowest, ser- the lowest task to just carry the sandals of the king, I'm not even worthy of that. And, and the people here in, at this time, they're seeing what's taking place. They're hearing John. They're seeing, hey, this guy seems like Elijah. Elijah. And they're going out there. They're going out to the wilderness to meet him. And even when it says this, that he's in the wilderness, again, that might seem like kind of just a whatever detail. But this is very significant. The Jews, when they hear that word wilderness, they get lots of imagery and meaning behind that. For us, it's just like, oh, I guess that's outside of town. It's Hickman, the wilderness. Um, you know, I don't know. Actually, we, we like Hickman, right? But, um, <clears throat> and so for them, the wilderness, oh, what that? that the wilderness is a place of, that, that you're kind of separated from God. Hey, you're out there on your own. Hey, maybe sin has carried you out there. You're being refined out there. For, for them, when, when they left, they were slaves in Egypt And then they were going to go, they were just going to, supposedly just going to go straight to the promised land. But then they sinned against God. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe him. And then they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness. And so for them, it's like, man, hey, this is this time where you're kind of like separated from God because of your sin. And then, so John, he's in the wilderness, and then he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And so when they came out of the wilderness, when they left Egypt... They, and they're coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. What did they? Where did they go through? The Jordan River, right? That that was basically like, hey, we're leaving the separation from God, for, because of our sin, out of the wilderness into what God has promised to give it us, give us, and we've gone. We're going through the Jordan River, and so what? What this imagery is saying? Hey, all of you have been in that spiritual wilderness. All of you have been separated from God because of your sin, because of your unbelief, because of maybe relying on your own religion. You've been separated from God. And the way to God is not really through the Jordan, but through Jesus Christ. That's what John is pointing them to. And Matthew is encouraging us to see, hey, uh, Jesus is the one that's going to bring us into the promised land. And the promised land is really even not just this this land, it's God himself. And and all of this imagery is, is going on. And so... You know, John is, is kind of like the last of the Old Testament prophets, fulfilling what was prophesied uh, and, and promised, and he's this herald pointing to Jesus, making straight the path of the, for, for the Lord. Because Jesus, the promised Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, the Savior of the world, he's here, he's coming. And so that brings us to, from, from the man of John the Baptist, to what's his message Second point is his message. And so, if we just see here, John has a pretty simple message. It's not really long. Praise God. You're like, oh gosh, it's hot in this room. Ricky takes some cues from John. But he just says in verse 2, repent. Well, hey, John, what's your second point? Nope, that's it. Repent. Well, okay, that's thanks. But, but what else really is the message that you have for us? Repent. That's pretty much it. And just to kind of give you a synopsis of repent. So repent was the first word of Jesus' teaching. Will you turn one chapter later to Matthew 4? That's the first word of his preaching. Repent was the first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 disciples from Mark 6. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection, Luke 24. In Acts 2, Peter Jesus has ascended. Uh, He's rose from the dead, and he's ascended, and then the Spirit of God is poured out onto the apostles, and then Peter stands up in the midst of this crowd, gives a sermon, tells them about Jesus, and then they say, okay, what must we do? Peter says, repent. Paul, when he's telling of his conversion to King Agrippa, and, and, and Paul, you know, when he saw the, the light on the road to Damascus, and then he, he comes to know Jesus, and he goes to people, and the first part of his sermon to the people is repent. So, what is repentance? What does it mean to repent? I think we actually kind of have a lot of misconceptions when we hear that word, and what we, what we think that it is. And, and we need to get this right. We need to be pretty I'd say clear on what repentance is, not just for salvation, not just for a person that doesn't know Christ, trusting in Christ and coming to know him and and becoming saved or becoming a Christian. But even if you're a follower of Jesus, this is still part of your life, integral into part of your life with Christ. And so what what is repentance? Well, let me tell you kind of what it's not. Repentance doesn't mean to only confess your sins. I think if we just say like, oh, we just said it. And then that's repentance. And in Exodus 9, Pharaoh, he admits that he's done something wrong against God, but it doesn't actually change anything about him. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul, King Saul, he eventually admits and confesses, oh, yep, I guess I did disobey God. But nothing actually happens from that. And so, and here in in Matthew 3, they are confessing their sins, Right? They are admitting, hey, we have a problem, we have this sin, but, that, but by itself, confession is not repentance. Repentance um, doesn't mean to just feel sorry for your sin. Now, let's admit, most of the time when we feel sorry for something that we've done, or, or you see it out there kind of in the world, most of the time when people feel sorry for what they've done, it's usually one of two things. They got caught, and there's consequences. I mean, if you've seen a kid, or even you, I mean, right, when you're a kid, or maybe this week, it's like, ooh, oh, oh, how late were you staying up watching TV? I don't know. Um, well, it's, you know, probably later. Oh, well, darn, now I feel bad, because I got caught. Or your kids, did you play the Xbox when you weren't supposed to? This is hi- totally hypothetical, not in my world. Um, you know, and you're like, oh, you know, I, oh, I told you not to do that. Uh, let's get rid of the xbox but um, people I mean you see it in the news maybe it, maybe it's in, in some sort of celebrity politician whatever it is people only start to kind of confess their sin and and seem sorry about it because they got caught and there's a consequence and hey is there does repentance include kind of an actual genuine sorrow and feeling sorry for your sin yes but by itself that is not repentance Repentance, I've heard, is, oh, it's just a change of mind. Is there a change of mind in repentance? Yes, that you're like, okay, hey, I I actually think differently about what it is I'm doing. Is that included in repentance? Yes, but it's not repentance by itself. Maybe you've heard this, repentance is just a change of behavior. And you'll kind of see it this, oh, you're walking in sin, you're doing some wrong things, and then you turn around and you don't do them anymore. That is not by itself repentance. It's part of it, but yeah, you need to have a change of behavior, how you live, but by itself is not. And so, what is repentance then? Repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, attitude about your sin that leads you to confess it, not want it, And then turn away from it, and then this is key. And then repentance is turning away from it and turning to Jesus. That's the difference. Repentance is turning away from all these things. Man, hey, what have I been living? What have I been doing? What have I been thinking? And it's all of you, your whole self, turning away from that and turning to Christ. Without turning to Christ, it's not repentance. It's behavior management. Without Christ, it's not repentance because that is what repentance is, is turning to Jesus to look to him. And so let, let, to obey him, to follow him. So let me, me kind of illustrate it this way. If, if my back is out of alignment, you know, the spine and all these things, something's going on, um, it's not alignment. I go to the chiropractor, and they adjust it, and they do the snap, crackle, pop, things, and it all feels good and terrible at the same time, and and then it's like, okay, hey, now they, they do that to get you in proper alignment. Repentance is kind of like that. Repentance is recognizing, hey, I am not in proper alignment with who God is with his character, with what he, he, how he reveals himself, with what his word tells me to do, his goodness, his glory. I'm not in proper alignment. I'm either thinking or acting in a way that is not in line with who God is. Maybe that's greed. Maybe that's lust. Maybe that's just lying. Maybe that's just cheating on a test, whatever it might be. Apathy towards God because of his glory and goodness and You're like, hey, I need to get in proper alignment with God. I need to be adjusted. And so you look to Christ for that. Just like you'd go to the chiropractor to be like, hey, help me be properly aligned. I'm looking to you, Jesus, so that I might be properly aligned with who you are and follow you. And and so that's kind of like what repentance is. And John goes on to encourage them. And um, in verse, if you look at there... um, Verse 8 says, therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And he's saying, hey, keep walking in repentance. Sometimes we could think repentance is just one and done. How many of you have ever committed, you know, done something? Maybe you're living in a way, that, you know, that's sinful. Maybe it's apathy towards God. Maybe you're just like really actively committing sin. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. And you turn to Christ. And then all of a sudden you're done with it for the rest of your life. How many of you have ever experienced that? Not too many of us, right? Because you, you're like, no, I turn away, I, I, I'm turning from the sin, and I'm turning to Christ, and I want to not do that thing anymore. But then next week, oh, I do feel apathetic towards God, or I am, you know, going going back to lust or greed or pride or whatever it is. And so, repentance is not just this one and done; it's ongoing. Continual repentance. Yes, I mean, if you've trusted in Christ, I, I do think there's just this one time where you, hey, you were, you were not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, and you turned and you believed in Christ, and you crossed over from death to life, and boom. You don't need to keep asking God, please forgive me in this salvation sense. But if you are a follower of Jesus, repentance is ongoing. I would say the more you repent, that's probably actually a sign of maturity. I didn't start following Jesus until I was really in high school, and so I'm trying to figure this out, and you know, let's kind of say the biggie obvious sins were kind of the ones that I was aware of in my life. Okay, Um, now, now let's not do the drinking scene. Okay, make sure I don't do that. Oh, hey, my teacher didn't seem to mind me cheating on that test, but, but now I'm following Jesus. I shouldn't cheat on the test. Um, what do you mean, Ricky? Everybody's copying off of you. I know. <laughs> um, right? Like, like those kind of obvious ones. Oh, hey, yeah, I'm turning away from those. But was I really aware of my pride in high school? Not really. Was I w- really aware of, of things that were kind of deeper in there? Envy, insecurities, looking to other people as an idol for approval? Not really. Right. But as I grew, those things started to become more and more apparent to me. And then you repent. So, man, repentance is not just this one and done. Growing in repentance, turning away from sin, turning to Christ, even, even daily, weekly, that's a sign of, of maturity. And, and John here, he's telling them, hey, can go, continue to repent. Going, going back to the, the chiropractor example. I remember one time my lower back was was just killing me, and it was just like it was hurting all the time. And so go to the chiropractor, does some adjustments, and then he's kind of you know pushing on some stuff, working through some stuff, and he says, "Hey, so hey, how often do you stretch?" No. (laughs) No, 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 no. Like, but how often do you stretch? Nah. (laughs) I don't ever. And he's like, "That's a problem." Uh, So so he said, "Hey." Your, your hips are so tight, and so because they're so tight and you're not stretching at all, it is like pulling from your, your lower back. Here, and he, he taught me some stretches, and hey, here's what you could do to solve it. So if I want to repent, it's not just, well, hey, just come fix me, chiropractor. It's I'm going to continue to listen to your voice. You're showing me, chiropractor, how to walk in better alignment with the way that I'm supposed to be. And so then it's, for you, with repentance, it's continuing, it's turning to Christ and continuing to listen to his voice and follow and obey. I'm guessing that, that some of you, you, you confess your sin, you kind of acknowledge that you're sin and that it's bad and that you don't want it, but you keep falling to it over and over and over again. And sometimes I would say some of that is because you're actually really not repenting in that you're listening to what God has said. You're like, hey, I don't want the consequences of the sin, and so I'll confess it. But Jesus, you have spoken, and I really don't want to follow you or obey you. Keep listening to his voice. Keep listening. Keep, Keep repenting. Keep looking to him over and over again. And, and, you know, don't, don't just sit there in your sin and your shame, because I think that's a lot of times what cripples us, is that we know that we're, we're kind of stuck, and then we don't even want to turn to Jesus anymore, because we're just like, man, if I go to Jesus again with this sin, he's just probably disgusted with me, and is like, don't you know better? But here's the thing. Don't sit there in your sin and your shame. That's not what Jesus is telling you. He's telling you constantly, "Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. I will walk with you in it." Even here in this passage. I mean, because you're like, "Hey, how do I then bear fruit according being consistent with repentance? How do I do that? That's really hard." Even here in this passage, John says, "Man, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Spirit." Man, how can I fight sin? How can I can I how can I even turn to Jesus when I don't always even want to turn to Jesus? Man, God says, whenever you trust in me, I will place my spirit in you. He is with you, my power, my presence. You don't have to fight sin alone. Man, I will put him in you. I mean, even Ezekiel is telling us about this. He will give you a new heart. He will put his spirit in you. And so to, to even just walk in repentance, you're not doing that alone. You have the spirit of God. I mean, even also I'd say you have the people of God. Man, if you're struggling with something, don't think that you have to fight that alone. Don't think that you just have, you're going to fix it. Man, God has provided his spirit. He's provided his people. His iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's many times in my life where it's like, man, you know what? Did I have the strength to fight that sin and to turn to Jesus? No. Honestly, maybe didn't want to. But I knew that I had somebody there praying for me and somebody that I'm going to give some sort that, that's going to ask me some tough questions encouraging me. And it's like, man, hey, that gave me the strength to do that. You don't have to do it alone. And so John, John the Baptist here, he's telling people like, hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. Repent. Turn away from, from your sin. Turn away from all that and turn to Christ. Turn to him. And then we see, what, what is he doing? There's this symbol that we see in this passage, and it's just of baptism because he's baptizing. They're being baptized in the Jordan River. And this was kind of a symbol of their baptism. Or sorry, a symbol of their repentance was being baptized. It wasn't like that the water was magical. It wasn't like the, the just getting baptized made them right with God. But it was just this symbol of this repentance. Now, usually, I mean, at the time, baptism for, for Jews, because that's who's coming to John, that was actually not a really common practice that they did. For, for Jews, the, the only kind of baptism that they would see would actually be Gentiles, people that weren't Jewish. And if a Gentile said, hey, I've been out here worshiping these, these other gods and these idols and these pagan, you know, I'm just kind of a pagan. Hey, actually, I want to worship Yahweh, the true God. I almost want, you know, kind of almost want to convert to Judaism. That's who would be baptized. And so when John here is baptizing them, and the the people are even willing to be baptized, what they're in essence confessing is that, hey, my Jewishness, my heritage, doesn't make me right with God. I'm I'm actually, because of the way that I've been living, me not pursuing Christ, I'm actually really even not a child of God. I need to like basically almost like convert from from being an outsider, and I'm going to be baptized as a sign of of my repentance, to turn to God. And John hammers this with the religious leaders in verses 7 through 9. I mean, because it's not just people. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, kind of like the religious elite, they're coming out there. They're checking things out. Maybe they're wanting to get, get baptized. And John kind of anticipates what they're going to be thinking. And, and he, he says to them in verse 9, Don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Because these Pharisees and these Sadducees, these religious leaders, they disagreed on a lot of things, but they all agreed on one thing. Our Jewishness, our heritage makes us right with God. And John is telling them, no, it doesn't. It actually means nothing. It doesn't make you right with God. Your heritage, it doesn't mean anything. You've been trusting in that. And now, for for you today, maybe you're like, well, yeah, I haven't been relying on my Jewish heritage but have you been relying on something else? Maybe, you, maybe you're relying on just the fact that you're in church today. Oh, I'm right with God. I made it to church. I grew up in the church. Been, you know, I was grew up Lutheran or Catholic or Protestant or whatever. Or, hey, I was baptized when I was really little, and so I'm okay with God. Sure. Or maybe you think that you're right with God because hey, you just haven't really done anything really, really bad. I'm a good person. Maybe you just thought, well, hey, because I like prayed some prayer. I think none of those things make you right with God. Only Jesus makes you right with God. That's it. It's not the fact that you grew up in church. It's not the fact like that you're baptized. It's not none of those things make you right with God. Jesus Christ is the only way that you could be forgiven and know Christ by trusting in Him. Not what you have done but only trusting in what Christ has done for you on the cross, paying the price for your sin and raising again. And so repentance is is giving up how good you think you are and relying totally on the grace and mercy of God. Turning away from, hey, the bad things that I've done or the good things that I think that I have done, my own self-righteousness, and I'm turning to Christ in utter, complete dependence on him. And so you know we've we've seen John the Baptist, this man. We've we've heard his message, and now for re, you know his message for repentance. And lastly, we're going to just look at what is the motivation for repentance? Why repent? And look at, at verse one. In those days, John or verse, uh, yeah, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, "Repent." That's his message. And here's why: because the kingdom of heaven has come near. John's big reason for why you need to pre- repent, why you need to turn away from whatever it is, sin, relying on your, on your own goodness and turn to Christ is because Jesus is here. The Messiah, the long-awaited Savior, King of the world is here. That's what he means when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here breaking in through the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation is here. Matthew has has already kind of spelled this out for us in Matthew one twenty one. He says, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. God's salvation is here. That's why you need to repent. That's why you need to turn to Christ, because he's there. He's here. He's coming. His main message isn't you're a sinner, and you just need to repent. His main message is Jesus is here. Repent. Responding to the news that the king is come. He's, he's already here, and he's the only one to save you from their sin. He's the only one that has the source of life. It's God here in flesh. And that's the motivation that he gives us. And, and if and if the Savior, Jesus, has come, he does give kind of this other nuance to it of, of this motivation. Look at verse, verse 10. He, this is what he tell, tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says the axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit, meaning walking with Jesus, following him, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who's coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You'll get him and fire. And then verse 12 his winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff will burn with fire that never goes out and so John gives this this kind of this other thing hey the motivation is that Jesus Christ has come and he's coming as this savior but he's also judge and there's this this these warnings that that John gives the people in Verse 12, when he talks about the, this winnowing fork and the threshing floor, that might seem kind of a little bit weird for us. And so it's kind of this picture of, of a farmer. And then they would have this, this kind of barn and there would be this, this spot in the barn and they would just have the shovel and they would toss up the wheat, toss up the grain... And there would just be a little bit of a light breeze. And so the heavier, the stuff that you'd want to keep, the seeds, the grain, would fall back down. And then the stuff that's on the outside of the wheat, it's called the chaff. That would just be pushed aside gently by the, by the wind. And so it would kind of separate, hey, the, the seeds from the chaff. And what John is saying is saying, like, hey, that, that's what... God is going to do. That's what Jesus is eventually going to do is that, hey, have you trusted in me or have you not? And if you haven't trusted in Christ, he just says, hey, and that's like the chaff that will be gathered up and thrown into the fire that will never go out. It's eternal. And yeah, that you're like, hey, is he talking about hell there? Yeah. And I know that hell is not this popular thing. You know, it's like, ooh. And you might even be like, hey, is, so is it really real? Please tell me no. And I get that. But it is real. And John here, I don't think, is exactly trying to scare the people. Or even scare you. But he's shooting them straight. Hey, this, this is what's going to happen. Um, heaven and hell are real. And... and yeah, that might sound severe, but let me, let me just tell you, I mean, like, you have to breathe oxygen to live. If you go under the water and you're like, nope, I'm not going to breathe oxygen to live. I'm going to breathe this water. It's not going to go good for you, right? If you continue to try to breathe that water and not breathe oxygen, you will die. That's not me trying to scare you. That's not me trying to be severe to you. That's just me telling you that's reality. And if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you can't have life apart from him. Nobody comes to the Father through except through him. If Jesus is the source of eternal love and life, you can't have life and love apart from Christ. That's just reality. You can try, but it's not going to go good. It's not going to work out. He is life in him. And and John is warning his listeners, he's warning you today, if you don't repent, if you do not turn away from your own self-righteousness, if you don't turn away from your own sin, walking away from God, just relying on how good you think you are, or your religion that isn't life that doesn't save you you need to turn to Jesus and if you don't Jesus will come he is coming and he will he's either savior or he's judge what will you do what is your response and that's the question that is posed to you today what is your response Because we don't don't have to wonder, is Jesus just coming? We know that Jesus has come. Jesus has come, fully God, fully man, and he died on the cross paying the price for our sin and he rose again. So we know he's coming back. We don't have to wonder about that. What is your response? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were resistant to repent. No, I don't know. I don't think I'm really gonna do that. I got my Jewish heritage, I got my religion. I got my good works. What is it for you that's holding you back? Are you relying on the fact that you kind of were maybe baptized as a kid? Are Are you trusting in just that you think that you're a good person, haven't done any really bad things? Are you trusting in just that you have just gone to church a lot? Are you resistant to repent because you think that God really wants nothing to do with you because you think that he's too disgusted by your sin? The cross screams to us, you are far worse than you think that you are. Your your religion, your good works aren't going to save you. You're still dead in your sin. But the cross also tells us there is nothing that you've done that can keep you away from me if you just turn to me. His grace is bigger than any sin. His grace is bigger than any of your kind of self-righteousness. Today, right now, could be the day that you... Just turn away from that. Turn turn away from relying on how good you think you are. Turn away from just kind of religion or turn away from, from the shame that you're sitting in with your past or your sin or even what you're currently facing now. Today could be the day that you turn away from all of that and you turn to Christ, the source of love and life in Him. Could be the day that you start this relationship with God out of His grace, out of what He has done for you and the gift that He offers you. And so I just encourage you, man, to, if you don't know Christ, if you've never really trusted in Christ, trust in him today. Don't let anything hold you back. Jesus is there. Don't, think, don't feel like you have to clean yourself up or anything. Just turn to Christ. If, if you have trusted Christ, if you are following him, here would be the, the question I have for you. What area of your life do you need to repent of? There is something. There's things in my life. What area of your life are you not living under the full authority of God? Are you obeying him in the area of sexuality? Of finances? Is there an area of your life that, that really you're not handing over to Jesus and him being Lord? Any habit that you have is, that's not pleasing to him. Maybe maybe it's an addiction of some sort. Maybe it's just apathy towards God that's causing you to just not really pursue him um, in his word, to pursue him in prayer, to pursue him in community. Maybe, Maybe there's another area of your life that you are extremely passionate about and it far outweighs your passion for God, but that other thing is just a very periphery minor thing. How many of us get almost obsessed with politics or sports, and in the end, they hold nothing to Jesus, but yet they have your heart? And you don't want to admit it, but those are idols in your life that control how you feel about almost everything. Is that something that you need to repent of? Just to, to turn to him? It, maybe, maybe it's just that Jesus is just kind of a hobby for you. I'll tell you what, Jesus didn't come, die, and rise again for him to be a hobby. He is life in him, in his name. Do you need to repent and turn, turn to Jesus in some way? Don't let pride hold you back. To confess that to God, to confess that maybe to others, to walk in community, to have people come alongside of you, to just continually walk and turn to Christ, to be reminded of just how good Jesus is. To be reminded of of, of just the truth that is in Christ and, and the false kind of promises that the other things make. To be reminded that nothing comes close to the, his, his love and his grace and his affection for you. To even just be reminded that he is God and nothing else is. He is far better than anything in, in this world. In his presence is the fullness of joy. So, yeah, don't delay let this be a day that you just like, hey, I'm just gonna turn away from that. I'm gonna turn to Christ. Because here, here's the good news in this. That ultimately that we're being encouraged to repent. And what John is telling us, here's, here's the good things. We're not being asked to turn away from our bad behavior to good behavior. We're not being encouraged or asked to turn away from a bad version of yourself to some better, improved version of yourself. We're not being told to work harder. Hey, get this done. You got this. The good news is that we're being encouraged to turn away from sin, from things that are not that great, from things that are, are fine maybe sometimes, but ultimately they're not God. We're being asked to turn away from those things and them having a too big of a place in our life, and we're being asked to turn to Christ. That's the good news. Turn to Christ, not something that's better in yourself. Turn to Jesus. He is your Lord and Savior. In him is life. We're turning away from what we have done, for what we maybe even can do, and we're turning to what Christ has done and what he will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that, that we can just sit in the reality and the truth that you have come and that you are coming back again. And so Lord, I pray that you would that we would just see how amazing that is that God in flesh came down for us to rescue us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that you were. You're offering that to us every day, constantly pursuing us with your, your love and your presence. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you just help us to be humble, help us to be honest, Lord, with whatever is maybe holding us back from, from knowing you, from trusting you, to, to be saved, to be forgiven, to have a relationship with you, or maybe what's, what's just holding us back right now. And help, give us the strength to just turn to you to repent, God. And we thank you, Lord, that that you are with us even in this, that even repentance isn't just up to us, Lord, that you give us your spirit, that you fill us. And that's just part of the transforming work of Christ is through God, the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.